What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylari. So today I'm going to give a recap of what's been going on in the MLB over the last day, starting off with the Oakland A's, and then I'll get to the Los Angeles Angels. I'll talk a little bit about them, talk about the Red Sox, uh, and then talk about the Stanley Cup Finals and the NBA Finals, both of those uh, closing out in the last day now. So we'll start off with the Oakland A's. They've won seven games in a row now, taking two of the first two games against the Tampa Bay Rays. Very impressive last seven games for Oakland. Obviously, I talked about them a few days ago now, but how well they've been playing. And look at them now. I mean, seven in a row, beating Tampa Bay twice is huge. I thought if they took one game in the series, it would be big. And then I said even splitting with them would be a win for the AL East. And two of the first two games, Oakland, heavy underdogs of both those games, have found a way to win both of them. So, obviously, a great start to the series there for Oakland. So they had 12 wins in the first 62 games of the season. Now they've won seven in a row. 12 wins in the first 62 games. They're 12 and 50 in the first 62 games of the season. And now have won seven straight, averaging 5.1 runs per game in the last seven games. In the first 62 games, they were averaging 3.4 runs per game. So 5.1, obviously a heavy upgrade from 3.4 per game, which they averaged in the first 62 games. They have an 810 OPS over the last seven games which they had a 645 OPS in the first 62 games. So 200 points higher, 150 points higher there is their OPS in the last seven games than in the first 62. Their starting ERA of their pitches in their rotation, 2.7 over the last seven games compared to 7.1 in the first 62 games of the season. And their bullpen ERA is at 2.64 over the win streak. And they had a 6.22 bullpen ERA in the first 62 games of the season. So I think the main takeaway here from Oakland is that they're just getting hot at the right time. I mean, the pitchers, bullpen, starters, and the hitters in the lineup are all kind of peaking at the same exact time and getting hot. I don't really see them continuing this stretch much more. I think they'll still, you know, win a couple games here and there, maybe go 4-6, and 3-7 and seven in every 10-game stretch rather than 0-10 or 1-9 in every 10-game stretch, which is obviously an improvement from what they were doing at the beginning of the season. As I said, they only won 12 games in the first 62 games of the season. They were 12-50 and 50 the first 62 games. I think they'll be better than that, but I do think this team still struggles for the rest of the season. So there was a reverse boycott last night at the Coliseum where Oakland plays. John Fisher, the A's owner, wants to move the team to Vegas. He's been in the works doing that as of late. So that's obviously been something that's been upsetting the Oakland A's fans. This is a fan base that already lost the Raiders to Vegas and lost the Warriors to San Francisco. So obviously they are upset and rightfully so. So last night, 27,000 A's fans filled the Coliseum and were cheering sell the team for just about the majority of the game. In the fifth inning, they were silent for the first batter of the inning and then planned an eruption of sell the team chants right after the first batter was retired. So loud that Hogan Harris, the A's pitcher at the time, thought his pitch comp was broken. He couldn't even hear his pitch comp because that's how loud it was. And this is a stadium that doesn't fill ever as of late. I mean, the A's have been struggling to get people in the stadium. And part of the reason's been because the owner doesn't want to spend money. And they've had a handful of very good players over the last three years that have gone through their team, whether they were traded or left in free agency. They've lost a lot of talent. And I'll just name a few here. Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Mark Canna, Stalling Mate, Chris Bassett, Sean Manaya, Frankie Montas, Elvis Andrews, Stephen Piscotti. They've had so much talent, and Sean Murphy as well, as I said. They've had so much talent over the last two or three seasons, and all that talent is gone. So that's why the A's fans have been upset. They don't really want to go to games since the A's have found ways to trade or let all of their best players go. 
Part of the reason is they don't want to spend the money on the big contracts, especially as you've seen in the past. They didn't want to spend money on Matt Chapman. Then they didn't want to spend money on Shamanaya. They didn't want to spend money on Matt Olsen. So they let all these guys go and they get paid elsewhere. And that's the problem. So the Ace fans have been upset. They don't really go to many games. So last night, as I said, was the reverse boycott where they filled the stadium and then cheered, sell the team the entire game. And as I said, Hogan Harris, the pitcher for the A's, literally couldn't even hear his own pitch come because that's how loud it was in the stadium. So hopefully it works for the A's and they get their way. The fans, hopefully they find a way to keep them in Oakland. But as of now, I'd imagine they'll be moving to Vegas since a lot of the time when owners want to move places, they just do it anyways because that's where the money is in the new location. They believe they'll get more money in Vegas. They think maybe they'll even rebrand the team. Find a way to get more stars on the team for less money, maybe, if somebody wants to play in Vegas just for the location. So we'll see what happens there. But obviously part of the reason that the fans are so upset is because they want to move to Vegas. Then you also add in the fact that they didn't spend money on any of those players that I just named. A lot of stars in that list, I said, Matt Chapman. Then you have a guy like Sean Murphy, one of the best offensive catches in baseball. They found ways just to let all these guys go. So the A's have been upset. Uh, as for their win last night, though, very impressive game from Hogan Harris on the mound. Harris pitched in the fifth game of his career last night and went seven innings versus Tampa Bay, just four hits allowed, one earned run, no walks, and two strikeouts. Very impressive game there for him. Tampa Bay has now lost three of the last four games, and they will have Tyler Glass now on the mound tonight to try to stop the bleeding. Obviously, Glass now one of the best pitchers in baseball. You like the Tampa Bay Rays' chances to win tonight. Even if they do win tonight, the A's winning two games of the first two is very impressive nevertheless. So now I'm going to move on to talking about the Los Angeles Angels, who have won eight of the last nine games. They're 8-2 and two in the last 10 games, which is the second best record in baseball over the last 10. They're 12-8 and eight over the last 20, which is tied for fifth best in baseball. And now have won eight of the last nine. Very gutsy win in extra innings on Monday night against Texas in Texas. On the road beating the team that I think has the best roster in baseball. I think the Texas Rangers have the most talented roster in baseball. So the Angels finding a way to beat them both of the first two games of the series is very impressive. So that first win on Monday night extra innings was huge. And then they beat them again last night, this time without Mike Trout in the lineup. Trout got himself a rest day last night. And the Angels have said that they want to lower the workload of Otani as well. So we'll see if Otani gets more empty nights and he gets more rest nights in the next few weeks. According to reports over the last few days, the Angels are going to find a way to map out a way to use Shohei Otani while lowering his workload since Otani complained of fatigue. And if you look at Otani, I mean, they kind of need him to go seven innings every single night that he's on the mound, even though the Angels' bullpen has been great this year. They need seven innings out of him considering how poor their starting rotation has been for the entire season, ERA-wise, besides Otani. I mean, he's been carrying them there, but they do need seven innings out of Otani, at least six or seven. I'd say at least six, and seven's obviously great. Uh, and if you look at what Otani's been doing on offense, he carries them there as well. 20 home runs, 296 batting average, 373 on base percentage, a 973 OPS, a 10 stone base on the year. That's MVP numbers right there. MVP numbers right there from Otani. And if you look at it, he also leads the American League in home runs right now and is second in strikeouts in the American League. So not only is he as dominant as a hitter as anybody else in baseball, just as dominant as a pitcher as well. A very impressive season for Shohei. And if the Angels keep winning like they have, winning eight of the last nine games, it looks like the Angels will be keeping Trout and Otani together for at least the remainder of the season. I can't imagine... Artie Moreno, the owner of the Angels, letting Otani get traded at the trade deadline. Considering how much popularity he brings into the game of baseball and how they can fill the stadium every single night when he's in the mound, I think Moreno 
is going to keep Otani just for the sake of how big Otani's brand is. Every night Otani is on the mound, people want to see him pitch. Every night he's even in the lineup, people want to see him play. So he's a reason to go to games for the Angels, even if they are out. So I think even if the Angels do have a slight bump in the road before the trade deadline, I think they keep this team together. And obviously part of the reason maybe the money side where Adi Moreno wants to take advantage of having Otani on his team as long as he can. But also I think talent-wise as well. I think this Angels team is good enough to at least make somewhat of a run. You have Shoei Otani, Mike Trout, the two best players in baseball, just about on the same team. Otani's the best in my eyes. I think Mike Trout's still the second best player in baseball. So you have the two best players in baseball on the same team, even if even if Trout hasn't really popped off yet, still see him as a top talent in the game. Then you have a decent supporting cast around him. You have Zach Neto, a rookie that's been playing great. Going to talk about him in just a minute. You have Mickey Moniak from a first overall pick that's been playing good for the Angels this year in some limited time in the outfield. Then you have Taylor Ward, who had a very good season last year. His numbers aren't as great this year, but still a good player. You have Gio Urshela. You have Hunter Renfro on that lineup. Anthony Rendon as well. So this lineup can definitely make some noise. And then if you look at their bullpen, their bullpen's been elite. And their starting rotation isn't as bad as most people would say. Obviously, the numbers aren't great in the starting rotation. Their starting rotation right now has a ERA of 485, just 24th in baseball. 194 earned runs allowed, which is fourth most in the MLB. Their starting rotation isn't great, but they have Tyler Anderson, Patrick Sandoval, Reed Detmers, Griffin Canning, and Shohei Otani. There's some solid depth there, and if those guys can heat up, you never know what can happen. I mean, I think they have the offense to make a run, as I named everybody in their lineup. Pretty strong offense there, a lot of talent in that lineup. And then if you look at their bullpen, the bullpen's been great. So I do think they have the roster to somewhat make a run, so that's that's another reason I think they keep Otani and Trout together, just for the sake of maybe seeing if these two guys can really get the chance that they deserve to make a run in the postseason. I do think when Otani is a free agent at the end of the season, I think he will be gone. I think the Angels will try to make a run at him and try to throw as much money as they can, but at the end of the day, I think he wants to be a Los Angeles Dodger. I think he wants to be on the West Coast, since it's closest to Japan, and then he wants to be on a team that's contending. And the Dodgers are obviously a great option there considering how often they spend money and how often they make a big move. So I think he goes to the Dodgers. I think he's going to get around 10 years, maybe $500 million. It sounds like a lot, $50 million a year. But considering how good a player he is and the brand of baseball he brings in and obviously the amount of fans he has, he brings a lot of popularity to the game. I think the Dodgers will throw a ton of money at him, maybe eight years for 450 which as I said, it does sound crazy. But I do think he does get that money because how dominant he is on both sides of the game, whether it's pitching or at the plate, he's dominant both ways. So now I'm going to break down how the Angels have played over the last few games. I'm going to talk about their bullpen a good amount as well, but I'm going to break down their gutsy win from Monday night, which I already mentioned. Brandon Drury was thrown out of the game at the top of the 10th inning, so the Angels had to reconfigure their lineup and had to move Taylor Wood from left field to first base, a guy that's only played two innings at first base in his entire career. They moved Urshela to third, Chad Wallach to catcher, and then Mickey Moniak to left field. Found a way to make it all work. I mean, the other three guys besides Taylor Ward have all played, you know, a third catcher in left field. Obviously, it wasn't an adjustment there for Taylor Ward. He ends up making a big play, though, for the Angels to get out of the inning. But before I talk about that, I'm going to talk about what happened with one out. So there's one out, runners on second and third in the bottom of the 10th inning. Tie game with Texas at the plate. So if they score a run here, they win the game. Second and third, one out. And there's a hard one-bounce ground ball. Line drive off the ground, one bounce at Luis Ranjifo at second base, who picks the ball out of the lip of the grass, throws to home, throws to Chad Wall, gets the out of the plate since they were going on contact, it seemed like Texas, throws Josh Smith out at the plate. So now there's two outs, and the Rangers have a runner at first and a runner at third. 
The runner at first ends up taking second base due to the defensive indifference. So it's second and third, two outs. And there's a hard-hit ground ball to Zach Neto at shortstop, who bobbled the ball, found it, and came up firing. Through a 94 miles per hour across the diamond. Threw an absolute strike to first base. One bounce tossed to first base to Taylor Ward, who picked it out of the ground, right out of the dirt to save the Angels' chances and get them out of the game. That 94-mile-an-hour strike by Zach Neto was actually the hottest throw by an Angels infielder all year. And the announcer in the game said, Zach Neto with an absolute BB. And he's right. Zach Neto came up firing through an absolute cannon across the diamond. And obviously Taylor Ward made a great play at first base as well to extend the game and give the Angels a chance to win the game in the 11th inning. In the 11th, neither team could score. So then at the top of the 12th, all things went well for the Angels. They got a home run out of Shohei Otani for a second home run of the night. And they also got a home run out of Chad Wallach to win the game. So big game there for the Angels. Beating the Rangers 9-6 in that game. Very gutsy win considering all things went downhill when Drury went out of the game. They had to move Taylor Wood to first base. And they had runners at second and third with one out and two outs and found ways to get out with great defensive plays from Lewis Ranjifo and Zach Neto. So big game there for the Angels. And I want to highlight their bullpen who played great in that game on Monday night. Six innings of no earned runs for the Angels bullpen. Only one run allowed in that game for the Angels bullpen came from the ghost runner in the bottom of the 12th inning. So it's not an earned run. So they had no earned runs in six innings of work on Monday night. Then in last night's win, the Angels were down 3-1 to one in the game heading into the sixth inning before the offense exploded for three runs. Otani and Drury got things going with singles, and then a fielder's choice from Rendon got Otani in. So then Hunter Renfro comes up to plate and hits a two-run home run to give the Angels a 4-3 lead. Then in the ninth inning, Zach Neto hit his sixth home run of the season, a two-run blast, and then Brandon Drury came up to the plate. And picked up yet another single, this time an RBI single for Drury, helping the Angels win this game 7-3. Otani finished this game 2-2 two two at the plate with three walks and a stolen base. He was 5-5 five five on base in that game, which is very impressive in his five plate appearances. So in that game, yet again, the Angels' bullpen showed up and played great. Four and two-thirds innings of shutout work by the Angels' bullpen last night. And then on Monday night, as I said, six innings. Of no earned runs on Monday. So that means of their last 10 and two-thirds innings pitched, no runs allowed that are earned runs there for the Angels bullpen. Just one run allowed over those two games against Texas. But that one run, as I said, was the ghost runner. And then on Sunday versus Seattle, they won that game 9-4. to And they had four shutout innings from the bullpen in that game. So that means in the last three games, the Angels bullpen has gone 14 and two-thirds innings in a row without an earned run. So all in all, the last 14 two-thirds innings pitched, no earned runs allowed, and one run total allowed, with that being the ghost runner. So 14 two-thirds innings over the last three games for the Angels' bullpen, and no earned runs. So now I'm going back even a little bit more. On Saturday, they played the Mariners and lost that game 6-2, to two, giving up just one earned run, though, in four innings on Saturday for the bullpen. So 6-2 to two loss. Wasn't the best game for the Angels overall. They've only really lost, you know, a few games over the last 10. As I said, they're 8-2 in the last 10 games with that loss on Saturday being one of them. Just one earned run, though, in four innings of relief work by the Angels' bullpen in that loss on Saturday. And then on Sunday, the Angels' bullpen went four innings in relief in a 5-4 win, giving up just one earned run. And then last Thursday, we're going back to another series now. We're going back to last Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday series against the Chicago Cubs. Last Thursday versus Chicago, the Angels won that game 3-1 to with three and a third innings of shutout work from the Angels' bullpen. Last Wednesday against the Cubs, the Angels won that game 6-2 to with four innings of shutout work by the Angels' bullpen. And then last Tuesday 
on June 6th. They started their series against the Chicago Cubs, winning that game 7-4. And the Angels' bullpen in that game went four innings of no earned runs, four shuttled innings by that bullpen yet again. And in their last game of their series against the Houston Astros on June 4th last Sunday, the Angels won that game 2-1 with three and a third innings of shutout work from the Angels' bullpen. So if you look at it, the last 34 and a third innings pitched from the Angels' bullpen over the last nine games, they've given up just two earned runs with three runs allowed total. That is elite. Just two earned runs in the last 34 and a third innings pitched for the Angels' bullpen. So since June 4th, the Angels' bullpen has a .53 ERA in the last 34 and a third innings of relief. Very impressive numbers there by the Angels' bullpen. They're a big reason the Angels are at where they're at right now. 23 comeback wins on the year for the Angels. A big reason for that is because of their bullpen. That's number one in baseball this year, 23 comeback wins for the Los Angeles Angels. And a big reason is the bullpen because they can keep them in games. Even when the starter gets out of the game early and the Angels are trailing, the bullpen keeps them in games enough where they can still come back and win the game by the end. It is a nine-inning game, so anything can happen. It's all about getting 27 outs. So until you're down to your last out and you're officially out of the game, you still have a shot, especially with this Angels offense and especially their bullpen being able to keep them in games. All in all, the Angels have a 3-2-4 ERA on the year from their bullpen, 3.24 ERA from their bullpen on the year, which is the fourth best in the major leagues in bullpen ERA. And then if you look at it, they have 24 saves as a team, which is number one in the MLB. They have 18 saves from Estevez, their closer, who's been very good this year. And if you look at it, last year, the Angels had a 3.95 ERA from their bullpen, which was 18th in baseball. 3.95 3.95 ERA from the bullpen last year, which is 18th in baseball. Now it's a 3.24 ERA this year, which is fourth best in baseball. So you go from the bottom half in ERA in baseball last year to top five, which is very impressive. And this bullpen is not a big strikeout bullpen. They find a way to get outs, and that's most important. As for the starting ERA for the Angels, which I already mentioned a few minutes ago now, their starting ERA on the year from their starting pitches, 4.85, which is 24th in baseball. 194 earned runs allowed by the Angels starting rotation this year, fourth most in the MLB. And the issue for the Angels in their starting rotation is walks. 148 walks, which is the third most by a team starting rotation in the game of baseball. 148 walks. They have to find a way to be better in throwing strikes. Obviously, that's a big part of the game. And now I'm going to talk about the way that the Angels have been able to do this and have been able to turn things around. They're just starting to draft guys and they call them up. Just starting to draft guys that called him up. If you look at it, Zach Neto was the first one, and he's starting to find his swing now. He's been playing great. He was a 13th overall pick just a year ago now. And he played 44 games in the minors before being called up in April. And on the year, hitting 259 with six home runs, 22 RBIs, five stone bases, and a 7.6 OPS. And he's starting to find his footing. Starting to find his footing. In 11 games in June, hitting 355 with a 444 on base percentage and an 11.54 OPS. He's been playing some good baseball. And as I said, just 44 games in the minor leagues for Zach Neto. And not only Neto did they call up early, but they did the same thing with two of their guys in their bullpen. Ben Joyce, a third-round pick in the 2022 draft, is only the second player to make the MLB so far and make his debut from the 2022 draft, joining Zach Neto. So the only two guys that have made it in last year's draft to the MLB already, both of them are Los Angeles Angels draft picks and are both Angels. But as for Joyce... He only made 27 appearances in the minor leagues as a bullpen guy. 27 minor league appearances out of the bullpen. 
15 two-thirds innings pitch this year in double-A for the Angels. Didn't even make it to triple-A. Just went straight to the majors from double-A. Played double-A last year in 2022. Had a 2.08 ERA in 13 appearances with 20 strikeouts in 13 innings in 2022. Then in 2023, this year, same double-A team, Rocket City, the double-A team for the Angels. 15 two-thirds innings pitched with a 4.6 ERA, 24 strikeouts in 15 and two-thirds innings. And makes his way to the major leagues after just 28 and two-thirds innings in 27 appearances in the minor leagues. And all of those innings coming in double-A. Didn't even play at all in triple-A or single-A. Joyce is currently on the IL for the Angels, but in the appearances he's been in, not too bad. Walks are an issue for him. Five strikeouts to four walks and four innings pitched with a 4-5 ERA in five appearances. So not the best numbers. Obviously, walks are an issue there for him. As for the next guy that I'm going to talk about, another young pitcher for the Angels, Sam Buckman, who's now made six relief appearances for the Angels this year, 1-0 record with a .9 ERA, eight strikeouts to eight walks in 10 innings pitched. So walks are an issue yet, yet again for him, but just one earned run and six hits allowed in 10 innings. Buckman was called up at the end of May, May 27th. It became the first top 10 pick from the 2021 draft to make it to the major leagues. So the Angels are doing this in an unconventional way. They're not letting guys sit in the minor leagues for three or four years before they develop them and get them up. They're developing these players, getting live at-bats for Zach Neto in the major leagues and live innings for their pitches on the mound in the major leagues. Bachman was the ninth overall pick in the 2021 draft out of Miami, Ohio, a max school had a very good college career. And as I said, in six appearances this year for the Angels, eight strikeouts of 10 innings with a .9 ERA and in a 1-0 record. Very impressive numbers there for Sam Bachman. He never even made it up to AAA. Played in high A Tri-City in 2021, getting five starts there for them. Then had 12 starts for Rocket City, the AA team for the Angels in 2022. And then six starts in 2023, for the Angels double-A team in Rocket City, and then made it up to the majors. So all in all, just 23 games in the minor leagues with a 4-5 and record, four wins, five losses, and a 4-4-8 ERA with 74 strikeouts and 84 and a third innings of work. Just 23 appearances. He started all 23 games he played in the minors. 23 games in the minor leagues and made it up to the majors and has been successful for the Angels. So obviously they've found a way to develop talent while also finding a way to win with that same talent on the mound. Usually you like guys to be in AAA, but Bachman, Joyce, both of those guys made the jump up from AA. And Zach Neto, yet again, the th- another guy that made the jump from AA to the major leagues. He played in seven games in AA Rocket City this year, had three home runs, 10 RBIs, a 444 batting average, and a 1374 OPS in those seven games for Rocket City, and got called up to the major leagues. All in all, just 44 games with a 322 batting average, a 408 on base percentage, a 937 OPS, eight home runs, 37 RBIs, and eight stolen bases in those 44 minor league games between high A and double A and got called up to the majors, skipping triple A and just going right to the major leagues. So the Angels have found a way to get talent up to the major leagues quickly, and that's jumping from high A to double A to the major leagues. And they did that with three guys there, Bachman, Neto, and Joyce. One last player I want to talk about here is Mickey Moniak, former first overall pick in the 2016 draft, 
by the Philadelphia Phillies, who's been playing pretty well this year for the Los Angeles Angels. 294 batting average with 396 on base percentage, a 632 slugging percentage with a 956 OPS, five home runs, 12 RBIs in 20 games. For the former Phillies' first overall pick, he's been playing pretty good in those 20 games for the Angels. As I said, 294 batting average with a 956 OPS and five home runs. In his previous 66 MLB games before this year, he had just four home runs. Four home runs in his first 66 games in the MLB. In this season, five home runs in his first 20 games. So he revitalized his career and looks like a completely different player for the Angels. That's obviously great to see. A guy that I was a fan of when he was... On the Phillies, obviously didn't really work out there and he struggled, but now gets a second chance with the Angels after being traded to Los Angeles last year at the trade deadline for Noah Syndergaard. And it's obviously great to see him doing big things. So the last team I'm going to talk about is the Boston Red Sox, who have lost the last two games to the Colorado Rockies. The first two games of this series, they've lost both of them. Hopefully they find a way to win tonight, the last game of the series. They already lost the series anyways, Colorado taking the first two of three, So no matter what, the Sox can't win this series, which is obviously tough to see, considering how hot the Red Sox came in after beating the Yankees this past weekend in the series, two of three. Losing two of two games already to Colorado is disappointing to see. Alex Cora was cited a few days ago saying that Kika Hernandez will be seeing less time at shortstop and more time at second base. Kika currently leads the MLB in errors with 14. He's been struggling at shortstop all year. Hopefully, Trevor Story's back at some point and can take that role back at shortstop maybe in August. Cora also said that Justin Turner will be seeing more innings at first base, and they will be decreasing time for Tristan Casas at first. Casas on the year hitting just 200. Justin Turner's been one of the better hitters in the lineup for the Sox. And the way I see this situation is that I think it's a feud between Haim Bloom and Alex Cora. I think there is definitely a divide between Bloom and Cora, and you never want that. You want your front office and your manager to be on the same wavelength. You want them to agree. You want your general manager and you want your manager to see eye to eye. Because if they don't have the same vision, things typically do not work out, if ever. You need them to have the same vision and see the exact same thing. Maybe not at every single player, but in a good amount of plays, you want them to at least see eye to eye. And the way I see the situation, I see Cora and Bloom arguing over this situation. Bloom probably wants Casas to get more at-bats in the MLB to get him some more time and more experience. And Cora probably feels, no, I want to play more Justin Turner at first base because he's a veteran, has better defensive skills probably, and is a better hitter at first base, definitely. Better offensive player right now than Tristan Casas is. Same thing with Kike Hernandez. I think the Kike situation at shortstop, I think that's Alex Cora saying, Kike's my boy, I want him to be at shortstop. And then you have... Hyam Bloom, who picked up Pablo Reyes just about a month or so ago now, saying, I want uh, Pablo Reyes getting more time at shortstop until Yu Chang's back and until Trevor Story's ultimately back. And Corey did say he doesn't see Pablo Reyes as an everyday player. And this is a guy that Hyam Bloom signed to get him into the lineup and help them defensively and offensively a little bit as well. So clearly there's a battle between Alex Corey and Hyam Bloom. I think there's a divide between... Bloom and Cora on Kike Hernandez and Pablo Reyes. And then the same thing with Tristan Casas and Justin Turner. And this could lead to the Red Sox being major sellers at the trade deadline. If things continue to go downhill, I could see the Red Sox trading Chris Martin, who has one year left on his deal after the season. I could see them trading Kenley Jansen, who also has one year left on his deal after this season. Justin Turner's an expiring contract. He could be traded. James Paxton 
is an expiring contract. He could be traded, and definitely you could get a good amount back in return for him, considering how good he's been this season, especially as of late. And then Adam Duvall, an expiring contract. So the Red Sox could be major sellers at the trade deadline. 33 and 35 is where they currently stand. 5 and 8 in June. 15 games left in June. I think the Red Sox have to go 10 and 5 over these 15 games to save themselves and try to potentially save this season. There's 15 games left in June. I know it's a long season, and I have found ways to stay positive just about the entire season, even when they were struggling early on. But it seems like Alex Cora wants to be fired. I think he wants out. From his interviews, from the way he carries himself, when you look at him in the dugout, I think he wants out. I think he's sick and tired of this high and bloom situation. And I think the Red Sox will be a sinking ship overall. Whether you look at Bloom, whether you look at uh, Cora, whether you look at this Red Sox lineup, whatever it may be, I think they could be a sinking ship. 11-19 in their last 30 games, tied for the second worst record in baseball. 7-13 over their last 20 games, third worst in baseball. And 3-7 and over their last 10 games. So 3-7 and seven over the last 10, 7-13 over the last 20, and 11-19 and over the last 30 games. And this is a Red Sox team that has found ways to lose games ultimately. I mean, last night they threw two guys out of the plate, Colorado. Colorado threw two Red Sox runners out of the plate last night. And that's a game the Red Sox lost in extra innings for the second night in a row. On Monday night, the Red Sox had bases loaded in the first inning with no outs. Raphael Devis up the plate. Devis has a dribble of back to Connor Siebold on the mound of the Rockies from a Red Sox pitcher. Throws to home plate and then throws to first and they get a double play. The Red Sox don't get a run in that inning after there's two outs and Adam Duvall comes up and strikes out. They have found ways to lose. Right now, the Red Sox average 3.68 runners left in scoring position per game, which is the fifth worst in the MLB. And somehow, they're hitting 278 on the year with runners in scoring position, which is fourth best in the MLB. So clearly they can't get runners in. Partly because I guess guys are getting hosed to the plate. So things have to change obviously for this team. How can they be fourth best in baseball with runners in scoring position, but also average the fifth worst in average runners left on base in scoring position per game? 3.68 runners left in scoring position per game. So that means they're getting guys on base at second and third. They're just struggling to find ways to get them in. So obviously things have to change. And as I said, they've lost two games in a row to Colorado and have been in three extra inning games in a row. The first game against Colorado, having bases loaded, nobody out in the first inning after three straight singles. Things are looking up for that team. Then they don't even get a run in. Then losing again on Tuesday last night in the same fashion. Leaving runners on base and getting guys hosed at home plate. So things have to change for this team. They have to change for this team. I think Jaron Durant deserves more time in the lineup. Jaron Durant, every time he's in the lineup, he gives you what he's got. If you look at what happened last night, he checks into the game, gets in at first base after pinch running, steals second and steals third. Then is stranded at third base. He has found ways to get on base. I think Jaron Durant deserves more time in this lineup. So now the last thing I'm going to talk about is the Stanley Cup Finals, and then I'll talk about the NBA Finals as well. The Stanley Cup Finals ended last night with the Vegas Golden Knights picking up the franchise's first Stanley Cup championship with a 9-3 win over the Florida Panthers last night in Game 5 in Vegas. Former coach of the Bruins, Bruce Cassidy, won the Stanley Cup just one year after being fired by the Bruins, signed with Vegas exactly one year ago today, and wins the Stanley Cup last night. And I know a lot of Bruins fans will feel either way whether they're happy for Cassidy or upset 
at the Bruins and letting Cassidy go. But at the end of the day, he goes to Vegas, gets an opportunity, and found a way to win. Obviously, that's a punch in the face there to the Bruins, considering they got rid of him, and he goes to a team and wins just the next season. Credit to how talented of a team they have over there, though. I mean, Vegas was so talented. Mark Stone, captain of the Knights, had a big game last night, got the scoring going with a shorthanded goal in the first period. He had three goals in the game. This is the first hat trick in the Stanley Cup Finals in a series-clinching game since 1922. He had the first Stanley Cup Finals series-clinching hat trick since 1922, which is very impressive. So, great night for Stone. In the series, he had five goals and four assists, nine points in the five games. It was very impressive. And then last night as well, Jack Eichel played well. Three assists for Eichel, the former BU Terrier and North Chelmsford Mass native. Grew up there and obviously had a very storied career at BU and now wins a Stanley Cup final. And this was his first time ever playing in a playoff game. He never played in a playoff game before this season. Ends up at Vegas after being traded to, to Vegas from Buffalo and came up big for the Knights. Eight assists in five Stanley Cup games for Jack Eichel. And so this is a team that was so deep that it was actually tough to pick who was going to be the Conn Smythe trophy winner. And it ends up going to Jonathan Marchessault, who had four goals, four assists, and eight points in the five games, including three power play goals. Obviously deserved there considering how good of a series he had. Four goals, four assists, eight points. Goalie Aiden Hill for the Knights played very well at 923 save percentage, with just 12 goals allowed and 155 shots faced in the five finals games. As of Florida, their run came to an end. They didn't have Matthew Kachuk in last night's game. He was out. That's obviously a big loss. He had a sternum injury. Big loss there for the Knights. And obviously that's the heart and soul of that team. So considering he was out, that was obviously a reason to pick the Knights even more in that game. Without Kachuk, I mean, that's the hot and soul of that team. And obviously, that's a guy that brings a lot of physicality to that lineup. So they lost the hot and soul of that team. And without him, you had to figure that Vegas was going to win. And you like that chances even more with Kachuk being out. Obviously, that's a team in Florida that likes to play heavy and likes to hit a lot and likes to get into scuffles. And it didn't really work this series against Vegas. They really couldn't get Vegas's uh, heads out of the game. If you look at what they did to the Bruins, they got the Bruins' heads out of the game. The Bruins just wanted to fight. And they were just confused with that Florida team. And it didn't really work against Vegas. Vegas stayed locked in and just found a way to win. As for the Panthers goalie, Sergei Bobrovsky, he didn't really play great in the series. Eight goals allowed in last night's game with a 742 save percentage in Game 5. Overall in the series, an 844 save percentage in the finals with 21 goals allowed in 135 shots faced. Only three players in that Florida Panthers lineup. Ended the series with the positive plus minus. Matthew Kachuk was the best there at plus two. He had two goals and an assist in four games. So obviously really wasn't much luck there for any of the Panthers in the series. As of Vegas, Alex Martinez, Phil Kessel, and Jonathan Quick all picked up their third Stanley Cup Finals ring last night, which is very impressive. So three rings for those three guys. Now Jonathan Quick didn't really have to do much at all considering how good Hill was in net. But obviously, nevertheless, still impressive by those three guys having three rings now. The Knights' owner, Bill Foley, said six years ago now, before Vegas' inaugural season, that they would win the Stanley Cup Finals within six years, and they ended up doing it in their sixth season. So very impressive there. He foreshadowed greatness, and he did it. Bill Foley said six years ago, they'll win a ring within six years, and they did it. And obviously, they made a lot of moves over that stretch of those six years, trading for Mark Stone, trading for Jack Eichel, adding depth and finding the right coach, all of that 
joining in together at the same time was a big reason they ended up winning this series. So credit to Vegas and obviously credit to Bruce Cassidy as well. I'm sure he's happy things worked out with him going to Vegas and leaving the Bruins. At the end of the day, I'm sure he was upset getting fired by the Bruins, but he goes to the right situation in Vegas and ends up helping the Vegas Knights win their first Stanley Cup Finals ring. And there was also another former Bruin for the Golden Knights out there, and that was Riley Smith, who also scored in last night's game. So an impressive run there by the former Bruins coach in Bruce Cassidy and then former Bruin forward Riley Smith. So now I want to move on to the Denver Nuggets and their franchise's first NBA Finals championship win. Denver found a way to win in Game 5 despite poor shooting, which kept Miami in the game. Denver was 1-15 from 3 in the first half. Miami was 4-15 in the first half from 3. Denver found a way to win the game, though, nevertheless, by five points. Miami finished the game 9 of 35 from three, which is 26%. Denver was 5 for 28 from three, which is 18% from the three-point line. So neither team really shot well. Still, all in all, Denver found a way to win the game. Nikola Jokic, very impressive game yet again. 28 points, 16 rebounds in game five. Winning finals MVP, averaging 30.2 points per game, 14 rebounds, 7.3 assists, 1.4 blocks, 0.8 steals, and shooting 58% from the floor. Very impressive run there for Nikola Jokic. And he got a lot of people laughing with a lot of his post-game comments, saying he just wanted to go home and didn't really care much about a parade. He didn't really look like he was having the best time in the locker room of the Champagne. But it just seems like this guy is very good at the game of basketball, but doesn't love it as much as the other players. He just happens to be very good at it. And that's what Isaiah Thomas said, actually, on a podcast that I was listening to on Instagram. He said, Jokic just happens to be very good at the game of basketball, but this dude has a lot of other things that he cares about, like being at home in Serbia and just happens to be one of the best plays in the NBA despite not having the same love. And I'm not saying he doesn't love the game at all. That's probably not the case. I mean, I don't really know Nikola Jokic personally, so it's not like I know whether or not he loves the game just as much as any other player in the NBA. But from what you get from the post-game interviews and what he was saying and how he looked in the locker room, it seemed like he didn't really care much about winning as much as some other guys. It seems like he knows he's very good at the game of basketball and he'd rather go home and just relax now, now that the series is over, now that they won their ring. But very impressive run there for Nicole Jokic. Credit to him. Another poor game from Jimmy Butler in Game 5. Just 21 points, 3 rebounds, 5 assists, 3 steals, shooting 5 of 18 from the floor. Butler finished the series averaging 21.6 points per game, 4.6 rebounds, 6.4 assists, and shooting 41% from the floor. Things really were never the same for Jimmy Butler ever since Game 2 or 3 of that series against the Celtics. Didn't really look like the same player in the last four or five games in that series. And then obviously in the five games in this series against the Denver Nuggets, really didn't show up and put up those 35, 40-point games like he typically did. Obviously, that's going to be a tough offseason for Jimmy Butler considering he obviously wanted to win and had the hopes of winning considering this Miami team was an underdog the whole way. He was the one that kept the spirits of the team high and, and spoke highly of that Heat culture. And he is a great guy to have on your team considering he's always going to be upbeat and keep everybody positive. And that's what the Heat culture is all about. So Jimmy Butler is a perfect guy for Miami, but tough end of the season for Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat. But nobody saw Miami going this far. Nobody saw Miami even beating Milwaukee. Obviously, Giannis's injury was a big reason they got past Milwaukee. But at the end of the day, they still found a way to beat Milwaukee, still found a way to beat the Celtics, still found a way to beat the Knicks. And now, Obviously, things don't work out for them in the NBA Finals, but being able to make the NBA Finals without your second-best scoring option in Tyler Hero and being an underdog every single series, every step of the way, still an impressive run there by Jimmy Butler in the Miami Heat. Bam Adebayo showed up for Miami in this series, averaging 21 points and 12 rebounds per game. He had a pretty good series, like I predicted. I thought he'd play some good basketball, but I never thought Jimmy Butler would average 21.6 points per game in this series. I thought he'd be around 30. I knew Adebayo would show up. I thought Jimmy would show up too. But at the end of the day, still credit to Miami for making it this far. 
Another negative for Miami this series was that their role plays didn't show up like they did in previous series. Max Struess was 6 of 32 from 3 in this series for 19% from 3 overall in the NBA Finals. Kayla Martin averages 7.4 points per game in this series against Denver. This is a guy that really made it hard on the Celtics in all seven games. Only averaging 7.4 points per game this series is obviously tough for Miami to recover from. And then Gabe Vincent only averaged 11.4 points per game this series. So tough run there for Miami's role players. Uh, but nevertheless, they found a way to make it to the NBA Finals, which is an accomplishment in its own. And obviously, Eric Spoelstra is a great coach as well, so he deserves credit. Unfortunately, Tyler Hero ended up not playing in this game for Miami. I thought he'd come back and hit a couple big threes off the bench for them, but he ended up getting no minutes in the game, which tells me that they probably only had him as an active player in their injury report, just so Denver had to game plan for them. Maybe Tyler Hero's wrist and hand weren't ready to play. That's probably the issue right there, and he wasn't ready to go, but they used it obviously as a chess piece there to make Denver prepare for him. But credit to Mike Malone and the Denver Nuggets. Obviously a great team. It obviously had the deepest team in the NBA with all those guys being healthy. They made it tough on Miami. But I did think that Tyler Hero would have played in Game 5. And I thought he'd come off the bench and make some big shots. But as I said, maybe it was just he was not ready with that hand injury yet and wasn't fully recovered. As for Denver, though, very impressive run for them. Obviously Mike Malone's a great coach. Jamal Murray's great. Nicole Yokes is great. Their depth is just so deep. The deepest team in the NBA, as I said. So credit to them. And what a road for Jamal Murray. After tearing his ACL in April of 2021 and missing the 2021 playoffs and not playing a game of basketball for 555 days, makes it back on the court in 2022, then ends up getting hurt missing the 2022 playoffs as well. And then this is his first playoff run since the bubble in 2020 and found a way to help Denver win their first franchise NBA Finals ring. So very impressive. He was great in the NBA Finals, 21.4 points per game, 6.2 rebounds, 10 assists, one steal, and shooting 39% from three. I thought it averaged maybe 25 points per game, but they didn't really need 25 points per game considering how good Nikola Jokic was, how good Bruce Brown was, how good Aaron Gordon was. Even Michael Porter Jr. had a decent game in game five. Uh, they didn't really need too much from Jamal Murray. As a KCP, my boy Catavis Caldwell-Pope, they didn't need much from him either. Just 7.4 points per game in the series for KCP, shooting 26% from three. Didn't need as much out of him as I thought they would. I thought he'd maybe average 10 to 15 points per game, and I thought he'd shoot better from three. But all in all, they didn't need it, considering how good and how deep of a team Denver has. So within two nights, the Miami Heat and Florida Panthers were eliminated. So tough end of the season in the NHL and in the NBA for the Panthers, Miami Heat, and South Florida overall. Anyways, that will conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it and hope you guys have a good one. Thank you.